Good morning. In the book of Job, it says that the lightning comes to God and he commands it to strike the mark. And I am thankful that I am not the mark. That's a little joke. You can laugh at it. (laughs) All right. Uh, So let's go ahead and, and pray and then we'll go ahead and Dig into the the, the goodness of God. Father, we come before you grateful as your sheep and as your people that we have a good God. Father, I thank you that we have a great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come And he has taken all of our sin and he has removed it as far as the east is from the west. Cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. Lord, what a blessing we are to be your people and you to be our God. May we continually always sing hallelujah to our great God. So now, Father, I just pray that you would be with those, Father, who are sad today. Lord, who have tears in their eyes and that they would look to you and see that their joy is in you. Father, I pray for those who are sick that you would comfort them, Lord, in their sickness, that you would touch their bodies and heal them, Father. Lord, I pray that those that need to be encouraged would be encouraged by your word. Those that need to be convicted, we be convicted by your word, Lord. And those who need to repent and come to faith in you, Lord, that they would see your goodness in your gospel for us and that you would draw them to you with your cords of loving kindness. So with all this, Lord, I ask that you would be glorified now in what we say and what we do. In your name, amen. So if I say that God is good, your response would be, and I say all the time, but do we believe that? Do we believe that he is good all the time? As we've been looking at these attributes of God, it's like taking an atom, right? If we have an atom, what's inside the atom? We have a what? A proton and we have a neutron and we have electrons right and then they they can delve a little bit farther and and they can they have quarks and here's the thing if we cannot exhaust and we cannot get to the point of the creation of an atom that we cannot see with our physical eye and it's finite we are only touching and we are only grasping with god's attributes what we can because we're trying to describe the infinite. If we can't describe the finite or grab hold of the finite, then how do we grab hold of the infinite? And so we do our best to see the goodness of God, the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, and what we do is we catch a glimpse of it that would take us into this mode of worship 
of how great our God is. So when we look at the goodness of God, we know that God is good. He is the highest good. He is the most kind, the most caring, the benevolent being. Even as God is all-powerful, He is all-good, and everything He does is good, and He is the source of good. We are not the source of good, but He is the absolute source of good. And He finds joy in delivering good gifts to His creation. Listen to James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So He is the one who gives good gifts all the time. Thomas Manton, he writes this, He is originally good, good of himself, which nothing else is. He is infinitely good. The creature's good is but a drop. But of God, there is an infinite ocean of gathering together of good. He is eternally and immutably good, for he cannot be less good than he is. And when we look at the word good in the Old Testament, because we're going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament today, when we look at the word good in the Old Testament, it means kindness and benevolence. It means that God is abundant in His goodness, in His kindness, in His generosity. This is Him being good. He is good and He shows good to all of His creation. To all of his creatures. He is merciful to all of us. So, what I want us to look at is what God's goodness looks like. The Bible tells us this that Moses, wanting to see God's glory in Exodus 33 19, this is what God says to him. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show my mercy on whom I will show mercy. Moses asked to see God's glory. He says, I will show you my goodness. My goodness will pass before you. Now, when we look at that passage and we read what it says, it means the back end of God's goodness. The back end of God's glory passed by Moses. God in the Psalms, God is this great God. The psalmist says in thirty-one nineteen. Oh, how abundant is your goodness. It's an abundance of goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. We can taste his goodness. Again, David in the Psalms in 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We can have that. We can taste that. Like we can taste something really good. You know, like like the drippings of a honeycomb or my favorite example, a chocolate chip cookie or a, a nice pizza. Whatever your favorite thing is that you can taste and you're like, oh, that is so good and that is so delightful. Do you do the same thing when you open up the Word of God and you read the Word of God? Do you get to a point where you read it and you say, oh, Lord, that is so good. I taste of your goodness in your Word. Do we see that in the cross of Jesus Christ? Do we see the goodness of God? Do we taste the goodness of God in the Lord Jesus Christ? To put it simply, God is good. Psalms 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good 
His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Psalms 106.1 Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good for His steadfast love endures forever. Therefore, you and I can come to the conclusion that God is good and He does good. God is good and He does good. But does, how does He manifest this? How does he manifest this goodness? How do we, in our eyes, see that God is good? Right? We can see that somebody is good to us because it's that physical thing, right? Someone brings us something that we, when we're, when we're, when we're sick, oh, this is good for this person. I was just speaking with someone earlier today, and I was talking about how it's really Evident that, that her gift is hospitality because she's so good to everybody. We see this goodness, but how do we see God's manifestation good to us? First of all, we see it displayed in his creation. All we have to do is walk outside that door, and this church is placed so beautiful, isn't it? That when we walk out that door, what do we see? We see the mountains all around us. That is God's goodness that we can see his creation all around us. When you and I look at Genesis chapter 1, we see the word good in verses 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25. And then finally in verse 31 of Genesis 1, God says this, and God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Why was it very good? Because it was made by the one who is extremely good. whose goodness is majestic. And so we look upon, brothers and sisters, we have to understand this, we look upon a flawed creation because it's a fallen creation because Adam has fallen. And yet we look upon a flawed creation and we are mesmerized. Like, wow. We stand at the rim of the Grand Canyon and go, whoa. We're in awe of it. We stay up late at night so that we can catch the northern lights, so that we can be awed by God's goodness to us. We're awed by his goodness to us. Think for a minute. Just think with me. Think about us. Are you ever in awe of you, of man being created? Just think about it. Think about the goodness of God in us. Just think about it. The psalmist says this, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In Psalms 139.14. So think about this. We have around 60,000 miles of blood vessels in us. Vessels, capillaries, arteries. We have 60,000 miles of them, and our blood travels through those. Our heart pumps around 2,000 gallons of blood a day. On average, with a resting heart rate, we take around 22,000 to 30,000 breaths a day. Our nervous system is made up of two parts. Our central nervous system, which is our brain and our spinal cord, our peripheral, and our peripheral system, which is the nerves that branch out off of that. Our brain uses the nervous system to send signals to message to our bodies and our emotions, whether we're sad or we're happy or we're feeling pain, right? We have this thing called the skeleton, 
And this skeleton, what's the function of the skeleton? It provides support. It helps us move. It protects our organs. It produces blood cells. Our muscles are attached to it. It stores calcium. And to top it off, God has given us an immune system to fight off sickness and diseases. And when you look at your heart pumping and your lungs going up and down and the blood traveling through your body, you don't control one thing of it. It's God's goodness to us. You woke up this morning, why? Because God is good. That is why we woke up this morning, because he is good. And if you're a believer and you didn't wake up this morning, guess what? It's because God is good (laughs) and he's taking you home, right? So truly the psalmist is right. We We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The goodness of God is seen in his creation. Secondly, the goodness of God is displayed in his bountifulness. In his bountifulness. We see God's goodness that he provides for people. He provides for us. When the, uh, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, he provided water to drink. Listen to Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses made Israel, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and therefore he tested them, saying, If you will be diligent to listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do which is right in his eyes, and give ears to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam where, they were, where there was 12 springs of water, 70 palm trims, and they encamped there by the water. God provided water for them in the desert. He provided meat for them to eat, Exodus 16:18. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, he provided bread from heaven, the bread of manna. Listen to Exodus 16:4. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in the law or not. God provided for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. There was no grocery stores to go to. God provided them meat and he provided them bread and he provided them water. Brothers and sisters, our great God is so good. He provides for us always all the time, water to drink, food to eat. His goodness is seen every time we open the refrigerator door. He is good. He provides for us. Not only that, but he provides for the animals. Listen to what he tells Job. He questions Job. These are questions to Job to show Job that Job doesn't have the answer. And Job can't do this. Job can't provide for him. Listen to Job 38, 39 through 41. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thickets? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? He's questioning Job. He's saying, Job, do you, do you, do you know how... The raven eats? No. Do you know who provides that for him? No. 
God does. He provides for the animals. Listen to Psalms 104. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures, innumerable, living things, both small and great. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hands, they are filled with good things. We do not take boats out into the wilderness and feed, or into the sea and feed the animals. God feeds the animals. He feeds all the creatures in the sea, which is amazing, isn't it? It's amazing that the largest mammal on this planet, the blue whale, eats the most minuscule plankton. It's plankton, right? In the ocean. And God feeds them. God feeds all the animals. He's the one that provides for them. God is generous to provide for all his creation. Psalm 136, 25. He who gives food to all flesh. Just not believers. His whole creation. All flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to all all and his mercy is over all that he has made matthew 6 26 look at the birds of the air they neither soar nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not more valuable than your than than they have you ever thought about that oh god are you going to provide for me well he provides for the birds he gives them nests he gives them food Why are you worried that he's not going to provide for you? That's what Jesus is saying. Aren't you of more value than the bird? If he provides for that bird, he's going to provide for us. Why? Because he's good. Because it's in his goodness to do that. Matthew 6.30 But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. What a... A a, a call to us, right? What a call to us. Jesus comes out and he says, Oh, you of little faith. Brothers and sisters, we should have a tremendous faith in the goodness of God that he is going to provide for us. Third, his goodness is displayed in his graciousness. He is a gracious God. God is gracious to unbelievers. We have to understand that he is gracious to unbelievers. This is called God's common grace, which is for everyone, right? So what are some of these common graces to unbelievers? They get married and have kids. Education, jobs, unbelievers are able to look at the creation and be in awe of the creation. They have wealth, they have health, they have food. God is good to the unbeliever. He does not hold back his goodness to the unbeliever, but he provides his goodness for them to enjoy. For them to enjoy. Listen to uh, Psalms 145.16. You open your hand, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. And in Matthew 5.45, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, he says this, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son... This, it's brilliant, right? His son, right? It's not Mother Nature's son. 
It's not some big bang, boom, there's the sun. No, it's God saying in Genesis chapter 1, there's the sun, let it be there, and it's there. It's his son, right? Isn't that cool that it's like he, he, he claims it, right? For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. God is good to even the unbeliever. He is gracious and kind to him. And God is gracious to the believer, right? God is gracious in our salvation. Think about the goodness and the graciousness of God in our salvation. When we look at who we are and we look in the mirror and we see the depths of our sin, right? Like we looked at uh, two weeks ago with Isaiah in chapter six, when Isaiah looks and he feasts on the holiness of God and he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am undone. I am unraveled. I am damaged because he saw his utter depravity. When we see that, when we see our utter depravity and our other, and our other need for who God is, and, we, and we, we don't see any hope, we see that we deserve wrath. We deserve hell. But God in his goodness and his graciousness sends Jesus Christ to die for our sins on a brutal death, to die on a brutal cross, to be beaten, to bear the wrath of God, to drink the cup of God, and to be buried and then raise again. And when we repent of our sin and we turn to God, he makes us alive. Right? That's what it tells us. This is his goodness. We deserve death in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But God in his goodness gives us life, which is the second part of this, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He is the one who makes us alive. He brings us to life. He regenerates us through the Holy Spirit by his goodness so that we will look at Christ and feast our eyes on Christ and turn to him. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And we see that in 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace we've been saved through faith and that not of yourself, but it is the work of God so that none of us can boast. This is his goodness. This is his goodness manifested in his graciousness. In Titus 3, 4, 5, and 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God is gracious. He is good in our salvation. We see how good he is, how kind and caring and benevolent God is when we look at our salvation. Fourth, his goodness is displayed in his leading. His leading us. He leads us. He shepherds us, right? He shepherds us to green pastures. In Psalms 23, 2, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, not the rushing waters that a sheep would be afraid of, but these nice, calm waters. He leads us there so that we will rest in his goodness. He takes us to the green pastures of his word. He leads us in that, that we may 
feed on his word. He leads us towards holiness in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may, de- you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The leading is for his name's sake. It's for his glory. He leads us for his glory in his name's sake. Psalm 23, 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again in Psalm 31, 3, For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. God leads us in holiness. He leads us to the green pastures. He leads us to the still waters. Why? For his glory. For his name's sake. So that we will lift our arms in worship and sing hallelujah to our great God. For His name's sake. Fifth, His goodness is displayed in His protecting us, His guarding us. Now, how does He do this? Well, we read in the the Bible, we read in the, the Gospel of John that we are in God's hand and that we cannot escape out of there. He protects us, right? But He also protects us by giving us commandments. This is his protection to us. He tells us in the word what we should and what we shouldn't do, right? That's what he does, and this is a protection from us. The law, when God gave the law, the law was good. It wasn't bad, it was good, Romans 7, 12. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good, is Romans 7, 12. Think of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? God's going to protect them. Look at his, listen to his words of <clears throat> protection. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Protecting them. How about us? God protects us, right? How about in this area of sexual immorality? That seems to be the thing of the day now. Sexual immorality is everywhere, from the internet to our TVs to what we listen to on the, in music. Sexual immorality is everywhere. What does God say about this? L- listen to his protecting love of us. In 1 Corinthians 6.15, he says this, Do you not know? Stop there. Stop with the do you not know. He's coming to our minds, right? He's engaging our minds. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, do you not know? Engage your mind. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of the prostitute? Never! Or do you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as is written, the two would become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee! Run away from! Run as fast as you can! Don't let it catch you from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual and moral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know, there it is again, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. In Ephesians, the apostle writes the same thing. He just puts a little twist on it. He says, but sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. And then he continues this thought process into Philippians into Thessalonians 4.3, 
when he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So when we read our Bible and we see God telling us to flee, to stay away from, to abstain from, this is his protection for us. This is his goodness. In his word, he shows how good he is because he protects us from the things that are going to harm us. That's his commands. When the law came to the Israelites in Exodus and again in Deuteronomy, it was good. It was for their protection. But it also was to show them that they could not measure up to God's holiness, which does the same thing for us, which is good, because you know what that does? That leads us to Christ. Because Christ did measure up to God's holiness. Because he is the epitome of God's holiness. And finally, we see the goodness of God in him conforming us to the image of Christ. We see the goodness of God in him conforming us to the image of Christ. Listen to Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, some things... Oh, that says all things? My Bible says some things. I must have a different Bible. Right, all things, brothers and sisters. All things. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So all things, this even means all things that are good and even all things <clears throat> that are bad. Even all things that are bad. Our trials is God's goodness to us. Our hurts, our pains, our suffering is God's goodness to us. Our discouragements our unmet expectations, our ailments, they're all good for us because they have one purpose behind them and that purpose is to conform us to the image of Christ. These are all good for us. Turn with me to Romans 8. Turn in your Bible to Romans 8. Because Paul gives us a definition of the all things. He gives us this definition of all things, right? If we look and we start in verse uh, 32, I believe. In verse 32, or what, verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is God's goodness. He graciously gives us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Do you see the goodness in what he says here? Who will... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Nope. Or distress? Nope. Or persecutions? No. Famines, nakedness, danger, sword? Shall any of that separate us from the goodness of God? Nope. None of that is. But is that good for us because it's going to conform us to the image of Christ? Yep. 
but it doesn't sound good, but it is good. Follow along with me. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the all things. Famine, persecution, death. They can't separate us. Because God is good. And all those things exist for our good. Martin read it at the offering, right? All those who desire, who want to live godly lives will be persecuted. That is for our good. Because God's ultimate end in all the things that we go through, good or bad, is to conform us to the image of Christ. Who is the God-man who is good. To close, brothers and sisters, may you and I today worship God in the splendor and majesty of his holiness as we meditate on the unchangeable, unrivaled supremacy of his sovereignty so that we may see in our hearts that he is immeasurably, immutably, unchangeably good and does good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can just take a glimpse of your goodness, Father. Oh, we can go so much deeper into how good you are, Lord. But you give us this glimpse that you are infinitely good and you infinitely do good. Oh, Lord, let our hearts be riveted with this truth. Let us sing our praises to you, for you are a great and good God to us. Thank you. In your name, amen. Please stand with me as we sing our last song.